Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is episode 150 with Will Wilhelm. They are currently working on the world premiere of their play, Gender Play, or What You Will, running May 4th through June 3rd, presented by About Face Theatre at the Den in Chicago. The piece is co-created with Aaron Murray. And hey, if you like really queer podcasts, you will love Will's podcast, The Tea Cakes and Tarot Podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, and Audible. I want to say hey (laughs) for a moment. I hope your hearts are well. We have a conversation about an article in this podcast, and I get a little passionate, a little heated about, well, this is the reason that there should be more non-binary reporters and trans editors. And I absolutely believe that. I think one of the most meaningful things that folks can do right now is hire trans folks. Use your platform to let them speak in their own words. And it speaks to a larger cultural moment right now where We need to make sure that when we write about trans and non-binary and gender diverse humans, that we include them in those conversations and we elevate their voices in those conversations instead of just having cis people talk about us. So remember, not about us, without us. And with that... I am going to get off my soapbox and let you enjoy episode 150 with Will Wilhelm. I am thrilled to welcome Will Wilhelm to the podcast on this, our 150th episode. Woohoo! Uh, hi! Hey friend, how are you? Oh, I am wonderful now that I'm talking to you. For those of you who don't know you... That's just ridiculous if people don't know you. No, it's not ridiculous. But I just see you as such like, literally as such a beacon and a shining light in the theater community as a whole and our lovely little um, trans and non-binary theatrical family in specific. So, but for those folks who don't know you, who are you and what are you working on right now? (laughs) Hey, my name is Will Wilhelm and my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I am... An actor. Um, I've been a Chicago-based actor ever since I went to Northwestern to get my training. Um, And these days I've started writing more, um, especially, you know, wanting to take up more space um, as a trans non-binary person. Um, I've had a lot of really lovely experiences in my acting career. Um, I got to go out to Oregon to spend a couple years in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And then I just went back last year to Portland Center Stage and that was really fun. Um, Yeah, but right now I am working on my very first play that I wrote. (laughs) It's a solo show called Gender Play or What You Will. Um, And it's very queer, very Shakespeare and um, really expands a lot of like trans joy and possibility into the classics. Uh, And I, you know, has been really wonderful for me and I'm really excited to share it um, with people I know and people that I don't. Um, Yeah, so so I'm a theater artist. I'm 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 moving away from being like, uh, you know, I'm an actor and uh, moving into being like, I'm a creator and that involves acting. 
We're adding hyphens. I love it. We're adding the hyphens, which I never really saw myself doing. Like, <laughs> I'm coming to this, like, I was not taking those playwriting classes in college like I should have been. Um, but it's been really so incredibly rewarding um, to feel like my voice is being um, not only heard, but really encouraged. I love that. And so... What folks are going to want to do is push pause right now. Uh, well, you don't have to, but <laughs> since we want folks to feel excited and galvanized to get those tickets, we want folks to know that the gender play or what you will is playing May 4th through June 3rd at the Den Theater. It's produced by About Face Theater, directed by dear friend of the pod, Aaron Murray. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about the development process. It's been... It's had a lovely arc, I would like to say. Oh, thanks. It's been over three years already that Aaron and I have been making this play. And it, it came from a phone call that she gave me. Um, in February of 2020, and I had just gotten back to Chicago from OSF, and I was very proud of my work at OSF because I was taking up space, like, as a genderqueer person, creating those narratives, um, OSF was really cool about like being in conversation with their company members and actors like, you know, what are you interested in doing? And so between my first and second seasons, I had just spent the whole year playing this gender fluid role in this reimagination of Oklahoma. And they were like, do you want to stay? Like, what's up? And I had had so many affirming experiences, um, especially from like students and young people that came to that show mm. that I was like, I do want to stay here. And I need to keep taking up space as a genderqueer person on this stage. Like, I just need to. Um, and they really heard that and were like, yes. And they also were like, how? Which was amazing. Um, you know, I had really wanted to do a track, like an ensemble track where I'm playing multiple genders in the same show and not like as a funny thing, just as like a thing thing. So anyway, I had been having those experiences and advocating a lot um, for myself and also like teaching a lot of the people around me sort of like how to be in conversation with me, how to support me and how to um, support other trans and queer people. And Aaron, my friend, really saw that work happening and was like, wow, that seems like a lot of work to just show up and go to your job every day. Yeah. And I was like, and you know, she was right. And, I, and it hardly even occurred to me. Do you know what I mean? Because I was like, yeah, I just, you know, I, I want it to be better for me and I want it to be better for everyone else. So I'm just going to do it. And so Aaron was like, well, what if instead of trying to find the corners of other people's work where you can sort of fit that in, what if that was the center of the world and you made it all yourself or we or we made it together? Like, what would that look like? instead of like reimagining, you, you know, these sort of um, secondary or extra characters and allowing them to take up space as queer people. Like, what if everyone in the world was queer? What if you saw everyone through your eyes? What if the titular characters that we really follow um, and really resonate with, like, what if they were you? And that was really beautiful and really meaningful to have a friend that really saw what you're doing and encouraged me to like want more for myself and I was like yeah you're right and the timing of that was really important that it was February of 2020 right. I just so happened to that same month you know because I just got back to Chicago have a coffee date with the new artistic director of About Face Theater her name is Megan Carney with like no real agenda in mind other than just like 
hey, uh, you work for this company. It's a queer focused theater company. I'm this queer actor. You know, let's let's know each other. So Aaron and I, before lockdown really started, and you know, it was only a handful of weeks, we made a, some of the first passes of just like ideas and inspiration and like vague structure, like nothing really like anything close to a draft, but like a skeleton, really. Um, and you know, then when I was no longer going to auditions or work or you know really doing anything else, I had this. I had the skeleton to to really um to really focus my creative energy into and I don't know that it could have happened you know had we had that conversation in response to the pandemic like it really was just like you have had the seed of inspiration that's giving you a lot right now and now you have a lot of time um so we started making the play from and Aaron lives in Seattle so like we we were we were we were making this play from not being in the same room for I think more than a year. Aaron, like many people, lost um, work that summer at, um, she was meant to direct something at the Island Shakespeare Festival um, with Alina Hodges, the artistic director. And Alina later in the year was like, hey, we wanna have an offering for our audience. We don't wanna do Zoom theater, but we wanna do something theatrical or something related to the classics. Like, do you have anything like going on in your mind? And she was like, any projects that we could like you know participate in and she was like funny you should ask <laughs> <laughs> I've been making this play with Will Wilhelm and we really don't want to do a zoom reading of the play like there was not even a full draft to have a play of at that point but what we're really interested in doing is being in conversation with other queer theater artists and like getting some community information like you know, sort of temperature checking, like what are our goals right now? Where are the pressure points? Like what is the tension that needs to be addressed? Um, especially when it comes to seeing ourselves, you know, in the classics and feeling like, you know, our stories are a part of a historical canon that will survive, that has survived. Um, and so we developed this video podcast series called Tea Cakes and Tarot, Conversations with Queer Futurists. And I got to have really cool guests on. And it was an interview with a nerdy kind of Shakespeare-infused tarot reading. Um, and tarot has become a really important lens and theme of the play, both for Aaron and I. And then in our first season, I would like share of just a few pages of material that I'd been working on. Like I'd be exploring like this character and that, you know, um, just like little kind of bite-sized pieces for me to just explore basically the ideas I was trying to put down in the play, which was seeing all of these really iconic characters reflected through a trans non-binary experience, which is, you know, to me, very easy to do. Um, gender performativity is so much a part of the text themselves and the history that it doesn't feel like so much of a stretch to see a marriage between those. And so the like the text itself is exactly the text and we're just illuminating it by instead of you know by instead of looking at all of the characters as the archetype in the world that we think they are the question has been like how can i pull this archetype as close to me a three-dimensional human as possible so tk center was really cool and it started off we did a first season where it was a lot of people like in my community we talked to people from osf we talked to bill roush the uh, former artistic director 
And then people really loved it. And so we did a second season where we just started reaching out to a bunch of people that were like less so in my immediate circle. We had um, a really amazing conversation with Lisa Volpe. Our last episode was with Robert O'Hara, um, who directed Slave Play on Broadway, because we literally were just like, hello, it is us absolute <laughs> strangers. We're making a podcast talking to queer people uh, dreaming for a better future. Do you want to participate? And his assistant was like, yes, Robert is very interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, so through that, it gave me like pieces of the play, like lily pads, like little vignettes. And then I got as much as I, not as, I got a fair amount of information out of that. And then I was like, okay, it's time for me will to to put it on my to put on my big girl pants and go sit down and write a play with an arc and a beginning middle end um so i did that and it was a really achievable way for me to start sharing ideas of the play and start creating conversation and feedback around that and also hearing that people were like really invested and intrigued by this idea so it was you know, as, as a first-time playwright it was a lot of affirmation of the process for me which was really important to keep me going then we had a draft and we started applying to grants and residencies, Aaron and I, having, I would say, no idea what we're doing. <laughs> Aaron, maybe a little bit more than me, but I was just like, just like I felt it was like just throwing shit at the wall and seeing like what is going to stick. And, you know, in that era of reaching out, we also, I circled back with Megan Carney, the artistic director, to be like, I hope you're well. Like, are you sane at all? Um will theater ever exist again and <laughs> also since we've seen each other I, I wrote a play and I think maybe months later she responded to be like hey um I got this you know what we're, we're what's up let's talk about it let's talk about your play basically um and we had a really beautiful lovely phone call and she was like I, I would love to support this and, and let us let me go back to my company and see if we can figure out a way and I think I want to say the next day, Aaron and I were doing our little research and we found a, a grant from Arts Midwest and um, an NEA that was meant, I think, specifically for a theater company to like work with artists that they don't have a, uh, a existing or previous relationship with, something like that. And so we sent it to Megan the next day being like, Haha, nice to talk to you yesterday. We found this. Um, it's due in like three days, but should we apply to this grant? And Megan immediately was like, yes, this is perfect. This could fund exactly what we want to do with you. And then um, Megan applied to the grant on behalf of About Face and Us, and we won it. Um, and that funded a two-week workshop in the fall of 2021. Um, and that was really the first time Aaron and I were together, like, trying to put this play on its feet. Um, and it culminated in a reading at the Den Theater, where we'll be doing our full production um, in November of 2021. And... It was a really, honestly, magical night. It was their first in-person events on the other side of lockdown. And, like, you know, we had a completely full crowd. And a lot of the um, About Face board came to the event. And basically, like, from the alchemy of that night, very shortly thereafter, they were like, we, we have to make this play. Um, and, and now we are, which is really, really exciting. Since then, we had... Um, another residency at Northwestern, which is where Aaron and I met. We we went to school there together. Um, 
where we were able to like substitute teach some Shakespeare classes. We got to keep working on the play. We did readings for it for the Northwestern community. And that was awesome. We went back to Island Shakespeare Festival last year and did a reading um, for them, which was really important because they gave us so much of an initial push, like an initial wind beneath our wings um, at the very beginning. And then we had a, a fellow Wildcat alum applied to another grant to bring us out to the college where she works in South Carolina at Wofford College. So we did more workshops there, another reading. So um, yeah, we're coming into the world premiere, which I start rehearsals in a week, uh, less than a week from this conversation. Um, but we've had five readings already. And that feels really um, like a robust development process that I'm so grateful we were able to have. That's that's absolutely incredible. And thank you for unpacking that in such detail. I think that's the story. So much detail. <laughs> well, no, I think that for those listeners who are listening for this, for perhaps a blueprint of how to yeah. transition into making their own work, a couple things I want to highlight is like, find find yourself a good friend. Like, you know what I mean? Like, find yourself yeah. those, I forget who said this, but artistic accomplices. I like that framework who you know, align, share the same values, but perhaps I know when I create work, structure is not, I don't like structure. I, I need someone with, who is, as you said, more formally trained in playwriting um, to give me that outside <laughs> eye because I will, <laughs> I have been told multiple times that when I write plays, they tend to avoid conflict because <laughs> that's just me. That's just me and, you know, my coping mechanisms. Um, and then I love that story of the finding the grant that's due in three days and submitting the application because I think for those who aren't regularly in the room for applying for grants or the process of development, those processes can seem oh, magical, mystical behind the curtain. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, no, it's just a lot of trial and error. Well, with grant speaking for someone who's written, you know, been a, been in development in the nonprofit sector, like a lot of grant applications are, you know, your your application hitting the right person's eye at the right time, right? Yeah. There is a lot of, there are a lot of parallels to auditioning actually. And yeah, and I just want to shout out for folks who have been listening to the podcast for the long haul and the Seattle specific in, uh, iteration of it, um, you know, Olina, because she was a co-producer and she hosted some episodes. I think that ISF, Island Shakespeare Festival, if if folks aren't aware of them and haven't checked them out, they're, the wording that they use for auditions is something that I share with folks all the time. Maybe perhaps because I was, you know, asked to chime in on it, but I think they do something, I think Olina does something really well in listening to people and not just saying, oh, I talked to one, I talked to one, you know, trans person and they speak for all trans people. Yes. Especially oh God, saw that firsthand um, in their development of the Cyrano script, um, which I got, I was lucky enough to be a part of that process. And so I love, I have so much love for both Aaron and Alina for the work that they do, not only on the stage, but to get to add more folks to the party and and uplift them so just shout out to our friends of the pod as we'll say totally i love what you're saying about accomplices um and aaron and i have developed a very similar word especially because the vibe of the show um 
the event of the show is that like we conjure the spirit of William Shakespeare through a seance. Um, and so like there is there is a spiritual or a mystical or a witchy kind of vibe, which I'm really um which has been really, I think, um, really personally affirming to have a different relationship with um, with spirituality and especially spirituality through community um, as someone who is uh, raised in a triggering religion. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, what we've been calling our friends um, and what like, you know, even that phone conversation with Megan Carney, we, we asked, we were like, would you be a co-conspirator of this play with us? And that could mean we have so many co-conspirators who are just people who are cheering us on and um and and like you are a co-conspirator for lifting up our voices in this way for real um but so much of it was really like you said just like throwing things in all directions and not really knowing exactly what's going to come back when or how um but just having to trust that process that it will and um yeah, I have no idea what the future of gender play will be. I can't, it's hard for me to see that much further than this world premiere that we have to figure out right now. Yeah. Um, but I know that by sharing it with the amount of people that we've shared it with, um, I, we've gotten a lot of really lovely and positive feedback of like, you know, the especially in the political climate that we find ourselves in right now, the need to see trans people as like not only thriving members of our community but but people who have the same amount of similarities and the same amount of differences that any two humans have with each other like I've been thinking so much about the Venn diagram between me as a human and every human I find myself facing and how to love the intersections and the differences just the same we're good. We, we pause a little bit because that was a big feels, big feels with that. If you're willing, I want to, I want to, something that you said before about your time at OSF resonated with me so much. I feel like I have changed, I have changed more hearts and minds being in a rehearsal room with folks in terms of how they interact with trans and non-binary talent. And, you know, I see the, I see a tangible effect when once I leave, once I leave a production, leave that rehearsal space in, in, in the folks that I've touched around me, that sort of ripple effect. And yet, as you said, as Aaron said, it's not something we should have to do. Right. Yeah. And so I just, I can write features and I can write persuasive essays all day, but it's not, for me, it's not profound as the change I see in being in the same room with other creators. I mean, it's one thing, and I think that touches what you were just saying about finding the commonalities, um, intersections with other folks in humanity. It's a lot harder to discriminate against a concept than an actual person that you've yes. shared space with and a common goal with. And so I just wondered if you could say a few more words about that, because that to me is the conundrum of, okay, then we got to... <laughs> <laughs> we got to get a trans and non-binary person in every cast everywhere all across the country. And then theater will change, I think, on my soapbox. But it's not just it's not as easy as that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not as easy as that. And you're so right in what you're saying. Like, this is not 
this is not a theoretical issue. This is about people in the world and people that you know and people that you care about and people that you love and people that you interact with. And so it's really easy for people. I mean, it's not easy for all people, but I understand how people with um, a trans family member understand that in a different way because hopefully you they love their family member. But people don't understand that like they're trans barista or they're trans like post office worker, like, is a fully formed human being with a very complicated life that needs their buy-in and their support. Like, like you were saying, like, I need to see a trans non-binary person in every cast. I need every person to understand that there's a trans non-binary person in the cast of their own lives, whether they know it or not, whether that person is taking up space from that identity or not. And, and if you don't feel like you do, no trans or non-binary people personally, it is probably because you are in an environment that is not safe for those people to be really public and visible in the way that I want them to be. There is a statistic that is still true, unfortunately, that the majority of um, Americans think that they don't know a trans, a, a trans adult personally. And that will be true for some people, but for many people, they just don't know the trans person that is in their life um, because that person is not able to do that publicly or that person doesn't feel safe sharing that part of themselves with that person, you know? So um, I really do believe that, you know, taking up space and living out loud, like that's all really important. And I do think that by spending time with you or spending time with me, it makes it a lot easier to personalize these issues. I have really wanted people who come to um, gender play or, or, you know, people just that just, I get to share a conversation with, whether it be in a professional setting or at the bus stop, to just <laughs> understand that for all of the very specific parts about the trajectory of my life that they might not have a deep understanding of. At the end of the day, like, I'm really just a person trying to actualize my goals and see in the mirror, like, a reflection of who I am inside. And I actually think trans people have something to teach the rest of the world to, like, be more active and be more engaging with that process because so many of us feel trapped by a lot of circumstances that we feel like we can never change. And trans people are exemplifying that there is a lot about your situation that you can take the reins of. And, you know, we've got this one life and you're in the driver's seat. And so I hate to see people feel trapped by their circumstance. Um, it's scary to have that power and not know if you can succeed. But in so many ways, I remember there's like a parallel to me. I remember being a young kid, like applying for college and my family wanting to me to be a lawyer, go to law school and me being like, I, I want to be this, this artist that I feel like, I, I feel like there's a version of myself on stage that is like a human that I never get to be in any other circumstance. And like, it, it really feels like my, my responsibility into the community of my world. And I, I remember as a 17 year old being like, if I don't try, if I don't do my damnedest to give it 
the good old try, I will spend the rest of my life wondering, what if I had tried harder? And so I really feel like for these like prisons that we find ourselves locked in, but keep ourselves locked in, I just don't ever want to be a person that looks back and says like, what if, what if, what if I just gave myself the agency that I wanted? What if I just tried? And, you know, for me and for you, like not feeling, you know, shackled by this like assigned gender identity is a huge part of that. But there are parallels in so many parts of people's lives and families and communities and religion. And like there's, I just see a ripple effects of that idea being healing and helpful and freeing to a lot of people. And so I just wish that instead of like this fear that people had of like what transness or trans people being publicly visible will like affect their children or like I, I wish that instead I think the fear is like the fear of seeing that someone else has set themselves free and and they're continuing to not or continuing to t to think that they can't because it's easier you know I just want I want them to learn from trans people and really really think expansively about the possibility of their own lives I'm gonna frame all of your answers in in cross stitch pillows. <laughs> That's gonna happen. No, thank you, thank you for that. I woke. I mean, I woke up, and as the day we're recording this is 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 the trans day of visibility, and it is. I was feeling a lot of feelings this morning. I was I was feeling a lot of feelings, and um, having this conversation with you right now just really solidifies for me that I'm exactly in the right place at the right time with the right human uh being in conversation so so thank you thank, thank you. you thank you i have so much love for you and i know we were supposed to do this last <laughs> week and then it was like ah the play the pre-production but then when we pushed it back a week i was like oh perfect what a perfect thing to do on trans day of visibility yes and there's nothing i love more than someone who is chill about rescheduling like that oh. to me is like the those are my people <laughs> my people who are who are the ones who are able to reschedule that's actually sometimes a tactic i use uh <laughs> use when scheduling dates um it's like how does someone roll with you reschedule i mean giving them enough time but rescheduling sure, sure. that says a lot about a human okay uh, i'm gonna talk osf let's talk osf i was saying before we got rolling that um, when I was being taught how to teach musical theater at the undergraduate level, um, the the production of Oklahoma that you were in was considered a production of note. So <laughs> can you talk about that trajectory of how how you decided to audition for OSF, how that came to fruition and what highlights of first and second seasons there? Yeah, thanks. We'll talk about just throwing shit out into the world and having no idea what's ever going to come back. And truly, like, and part of that, and, and I'm saying this to, like, you know, uh, actors who are auditioning constantly, yes, but also people who just interview for jobs and apply to jobs. Like, I swear to you, the only way I have survived it or have found resilience through it and the constant rejection is, like, I will go and then I will do everything in my power to just forget immediately that I even did that and I the and the easiest way for me is just like think about the next one think about the next one and 
you know, some that has occasionally trapped me in these little like productivity uh, cycles where I'm like more, more, more. What's the next thing I can be sure, doing? Sure, sure. So there's a dark side of that too. <laughs> but <laughs> um, OSF was, you know, at a time where I was going to a million EPA auditions. And so for people, well, EPA, the A stands for audition. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, what is EPA? EPA is Equity Principal Auditions. So Thank it's you. an open call that theaters are required to do by Actors' Equity Association. So sometimes there's a little bit of a sense that there's a little bit of a question, like, are these real or are, are these fake? Are you actually looking for people or are you just doing this because you sure. must? Um, <laughs> and so it's the kind of general where you're just like, hey, uh, here's my song, here's my monologue. I'm an absolutely random person. Good day. <laughs> um, uh, I said good day. I said good day. And um, I, I got my equity card through my time at OSF. So equity members are able to schedule appointments for those. And if you're not an equity member, you get there in the morning and you wait until there's an opening. And so I had been there like ungodly early to you know be the first of the list because of course osf everyone wanted to audition and and it happened at a time where it was within months of me taking up space you know as a non-binary person in the world and in chicago and you know the pronouns and all that and i was you know the pronouns and i mean to pause if i may right there that's a huge thing for f- I I just don't want to gloss over it. That's a huge thing for an actor to publicly make that choice. Yeah. And so, like, yes, it's part of the list that you're saying right now, but it's huge. It it, it yeah. It is because this was also like 2016 into 2017, and you know right. some things have gotten better, and something like you know talk about 101 conversations. I feel like we were really having them in that era. And there was a transition for me at the end of 2016 um, was my first time playing Angel in Rent, which was a catalyst for a lot of big feelings for me, who was like determined that this character would be treated as a trans feminine person. And everyone's like, why are you so adamant about this? And I was like, no reason. I just I just think it just feels right. It's just really important to me. And I I can't I can't say anything more than that, but it is just really important the line will not be crossed thank you (laughs) exactly to my next show at the beginning of 2017 um was my first show at steppenwolf i was in a show called straight white men and um by young jean lee and i was there sort of taking up space as myself there's these two gender non-conforming characters that are characters but are also like hey I'm this person and this is my function in this play so I it was also I was having that transition while on stage at Steppenwolf um as like a 25 year old maybe so it it felt kind of big and kind of major and like kind of scary in some ways like I had support but it was what you're saying, the tracking of of teaching everyone how you want to be received as a performer, that was some work. All that said, I was starting to go into these auditions and no longer pressuring myself to sort of look like or sound like or feel like some little chorus boy that I think I thought I was supposed to be. 
at some point. And I started just, you know, going as myself, doing the bead of makeup I wanted, wearing my gorgeous jumpsuits, giving them a cute little drop earring, whatever, you know, not thinking about like, God, what what track of your season do I need to fit myself into? But really just taking those as an opportunity to introduce myself as this artist. And I really love Shakespeare. And I went into that audition being like, oh, maybe I, maybe I could be in one of their Shakespeare plays. And I knew that they were doing this queer Oklahoma. I swear to you, I didn't think about it at all. Like I say, I sang a song, sure, because they asked for a song and a monologue. So I sang a song, but I had only ever done rock musicals professionally. I was like, oh, Golden Age, like it's not really my voice. Like just, I just, I didn't think there would be a mutual interest. It, I could tell that it went well. The, the next day they were like, hey, can you do the exact same thing? But this time we're going to put it on tape or like you know the artist director and all the directors i was like um sure months go by months of me just like doing other work not really fixating or thinking about that at all um before my agents were like hey you know osf is trying to put you in this season and they want you to be in oklahoma and i was like what <laughs> And, you know, I would it would take really getting like Bill Roush and me and Joy Dixon, the casting director, all in the same room to like hammer out exactly how this happened. But through the mumblings of, of my time there, my understanding was that they had created this sort of like, you know, queer production of Oklahoma that was going to feature a woman playing Curly and a man playing Ado Annie that they changed to Ado Andy. Um, there was a trans intersex woman playing Aunt Eller, who was the, you know, the matriarch. And they hadn't really thought that much about um, gender fluidity or like non-binary genderqueer identities in this world. Um, and I just came in and like, was me, do you know what I mean? And I think that put off like a little light bulb or something for someone <laughs> um, because, you know, before I even got to the season, and they were like flying me out for my costume fittings and stuff. I felt very fancy. But, you know, I was having these conversations with Bill Roush, who I didn't have a previous relationship with, about like, how do we want to tell this story? I was originally cast in an ensemble track they called Tom. And they're like, we'll change that. We'll make it better. I was like, sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, but I was in the female ensemble um, and started the show presenting, you know, male as a cowboy. And they, created this whole track and this whole relationship with Lori where the women around me sort of like came to my aid and lifted me up and supported me on a whole journey, like a whole transition throughout the play every single time I came on stage until it ended me with me being like the the bridesmaid at the wedding catching the, the little bouquet. And it was an ensemble track. Like I had a couple little solos maybe four lines like I would it was but it was very carefully woven into the fabric of that play and there was not a single queer especially a young trans person that did not see exactly what was happening from the moment it started and like I've sort of mentioned that power to just see ourselves as a part of the fabric of the world and a part of the fabric of the community whether or not we're on stage to like to be trans and explore trans issues that there are just trans people existing and learning how to grow and thrive you know 
as are as as there are everywhere, as there are in every community. Um, so that was really, really special. I love that, and I love that they listened. They really did to you, and I love that they were intentional. That's just so lovely, and to and to say that, yeah, you were able to tell an entire story in Oklahoma, which I think not to go off on a a tangent too far, but in terms of like folks don't understand that Oklahoma was like the Hamilton of its time. Correct. Literally, people would sell their ticket stubs to people who did not go to Oklahoma, who would then like display them in their homes as though they had <laughs> gone to see Oklahoma. Like it's people, I think nowadays we think it as we think it of it as a museum piece or, you know, but I think it's just very cool to see the current relationship that we have with Oklahoma and on the national tour, having two, um, two trans folks as Ado Annie and, who does she end up with in Oklahoma? Does she does Ado Annie end up with someone? It's, um, Bill. Bill. Yeah. And so it's like it can. I mean, it's a. It makes me happy. Totally. It makes me and, happy. and when we put things in those contexts, you hear. And this was like a seventy fifth anniversary production, but there are things that pop so like gut wrenchingly. The moment I will always remember and i think it's right after two women are on stage singing people will say we're in love together which is all about like you know oh don't don't be too loud like don't be too public because if <laughs> if if you show me how you feel then people are gonna know that we're in love i think it's in the same scene i can't quite remember but this woman, Curly, pulls Lori up on this hay bale with her and they're like looking out at the town or whatever. And she goes, the country's a changing. You got to change with it. And that like brings me to tears every time I think about it. Just how something, how just changing the context of something can illuminate like our presence everywhere because there's just so much gatekeeping and there's so much like people think that allowing queer people into their spaces like changes the meaning of things or bastardizes it in some way and like there's just no consideration for the fact that like our stories are sometimes your stories too our stories aren't only about the coming out process and you know queer specific issues like we're also just people that love each other and have friends and talk shit and play <laughs> board games and like do normal things. Imagine that. <laughs> Something I forgot to say earlier was I I love that right now in this cultural moment with Jinx Monsoon just leaving mm -hmm. leaving Chicago. her amazing turn as Mama Morton in Chicago. And I'm going to say this right, which with her in that role, it had the highest week of a non-holiday week in terms of the money. Because yeah. I think sometimes, to your point, what you were saying, folks are like, well, whether or not they say this part out loud, I've had to argue this point with too many well-meaning white cis folks who were playing devil, quote-unquote devil's advocate mm -hmm. about it not being financially viable. And so... I would like to show you Jinx Monsoon on Broadway. I would like to show you Tick, Tick, Boom in Chicago, yeah. Bo Frazier's production that had 
so many trans and non-binary people go out for it and and had so many reviews and did so well at the box office. I think I would need to check in with Bo, but it's one of the highest grossing productions that that company has ever produced. So like we have receipts back off. And then totally. I also wanted to say, I wanted to sort of start the beginning of our end to, of our time when you were saying that we, I think it's, we need to be cast in stories that have nothing to do with our transness because mm -hmm. otherwise it'll be too sad all the time because totally. too many, too many quote unquote trans productions of note that will say are trans productions that have become roles that have become canon have right. a lot of that transphobia or suffering baked into them. But I mean, talking what you were saying earlier about really feeling yourself on stage in a way that you hadn't in portraying some roles one of the most delightful experiences I had was playing Ram's dad in Heather's The Musical. And it's like, <laughs> there's something beautiful about a non-binary person playing <laughs> playing a very homophobic person who has a come to Jesus moment that the world is changing um, and is without comment. And I just, that's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Too. There doesn't have to be a conversation about it. And I wanted to use that to transition into your run in Mr. Burns, the post-electric play, which uh, a lot of people may be familiar with, doesn't have a quote-unquote trans role earmarked no. in it, right? Can you talk a little bit about that production and the role you played? Yeah, um, I'm so excited to do that and also loop in what you just <laughs> said, like that... I didn't talk so much about my second season at OSF, but the most affirming part of it to me was playing Audrey in As You Like It, who's like, <laughs> you know, just this saucy little country girl and Rosa Joshi who directed it. And it was like a beautiful, very feminist production because she sort of like gets written off as a hoe a lot <laughs> in the text. I'm not um, a slut. <laughs> and I, I got to share a lot of the text with Touchstone, so it actually like felt more like a mutual engaging of a relationship that we're getting married at the end. Um, but it was so beautiful to be in that role because I just got to like feel, even though she's not like a main character really in the show, I got to feel what it was like to sort of step into those ingenue kind of shoes and just be like a young, beautiful person who's assured of themselves and worthy of falling in love with. Mm. Period. period and there was no trans lens for me to play it through and it was very clear that it was a non-binary Audrey and a queer relationship but like there was that was there was there was no story around that other than the fact that they just were and that's also very true um of Mr. Burns Mr. Burns is like a super beloved sort of like it feels like a cult classic yeah. play to me and I it 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 centers around the telling of this um, Simpsons episode in a post uh, a post apocalyptic world where like there is no there's no like electricity there's no there's none of our like current technology it's just people surviving and trying to like tell stories and preserve stories for each other and I was like not a huge Simpsons fan I had not read or seen the play I so I came into it so fresh. But it's a it's a cast of eight people, and you know they're written as men and women, I guess. Like, uh, but they're just they're just people like trying to survive the end of the world and like figure out whether or not they can trust each other and figure out how the fuck they're gonna keep themselves sane. <laughs> um, 
And I was very grateful that I, you know, shout out to Jeremy Wexler, the director, and um, Rachel Jimenez, the casting director who brought me in for it. They they were like, choose whatever character you want. And a lot of, I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people are doing that specifically to me, like acknowledging I'm a non-binary person and they're just like, whatever you want. I don't know if that was, you know, or they were doing that to everyone, who knows. But it was a remount of production, so they only had a few roles available, not the whole cast, because there were some returning people. And they were like, these are the available roles, pick whatever you want. And like, yeah, like gender just like couldn't have been any less of an important element of that story. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no, I hardly remember even any like gender politics in the, in the play of being like, you're not listening to me because I'm a woman and you're a man. Like it just like, there were so many things and that didn't really feel deeply involved. The play takes place in three acts. It's like, you know, the time where everything is like really falling apart. And then it's like seven years later and there's like some amount of community like rebuilding and they're like a traveling group that does these Shakespeare episodes. Oh, not Shakespeare episodes. I'm thinking of the TV show. <laughs> Do you, what TV show am I talking about? Um, it's called Station Eleven, um, the Simpson episodes. <laughs> and then the last one is like 75 years in the future. And it's just like this so trippy. Do you know the play? I do. I have. I saw it at uh, Act Theater in Seattle. Okay, cool. So you know that the last act is an operetta. It's completely sung through, and it's like a passion play operetta of this Simpson episode. And the they actually changed the tracking of the role I played. I played Jenny in the first two acts, and then there is a character that is like the narrator who's really singing the vocal lead in that whole third act. And I, you know, in Oklahoma and other places, like I have been working on and have a, a lot of access to like a higher register of my voice and a falsetto that I also bring out for rock musicals when you got sure. show them the tricks and the gymnastics. But, you know, I... There's there's a there's a lot of different parts of my voice and a and a lot of different ranges we'll say, and this had music that was written you know and I'm singing a vocal part that's also leading an ensemble often and I was just working with a music director especially Eugene Dyson is his name, who was so committed to finding for every single song what's the best key for this I don't give a fuck about what's written. What is the best to showcase Will's voice in this role? It's written for a female register. Cool. There are times where that's going to sit perfectly. There are times where this is a full group ensemble. So like we can change it a little bit this way and a little bit this, this way. But if we change it too much, then it'll, you know, cause other issues. This one is Will's solo. Let's try it in every single key and like find the one that seriously, I, right. there were some songs that were like, okay, up again, up again, up again. Okay. No, down again, down again. And we just set aside the rehearsal time to know that like, if we do this work now, the whole production is going to benefit from it. So they really set me up for success as a trans actor and a trans singer to be in a role that wasn't about transness, but also was acknowledging like where my voice is and can be and shines. So they put together this like really 
awesome third act where I was able to showcase like an insane vocal performance that was not written into the show. And if I had done it exactly how it was written in a, in places that were not showcasing the strengths of my voice, like I would have struggled and, you know, done my best. But instead, they're like, let's be malleable with this and work to showcase the artists that we have. And it was so much better for it. And so people walked away from that show. Um, you know, I was really proud of of my performance in the first two acts as well. Like I loved being Jenny. Um, and a lot of people walked from away from that show being like, bitch, I did not know you sang like that. <laughs> and, you know, there's not really roles written that way. Like, how could you unless that time and energy had been taken to set me up for that? And it was really fucking fun. You know, it was really fun. And meanwhile, like there was a lot of really cool press that was happening it was the first show back in the city of Chicago after the pandemic I think if not the first one of the first two or three I think it might have been the first though um and so we got a real a lot of really awesome like coverage and press yeah all that kind of good stuff one notable thing that happened was um we got this write-up in the New York Times and it wasn't a review it was just a feature of like theater's back and we're doing a post-apocalyptic play in a very post-apocalyptic time, like, oh, trippy. Um, and it was really awesome. It was really affirming to be like, oh my God, like there's a huge color photo of me on the front page of the New York Times Arts and Entertainment section, like like really like, like overwhelming with gratitude. And in the text of it, like, and it wasn't a review, they were talking about it being a remount with some returning cast members. And they also talked about there being um, new cast members. And I was the only one mentioned by name to say like, including Will Wilhelm, the first non-binary actor to play Jenny carrying on. And part of me was like, oh, thanks for the acknowledgement. But a part of me was like, that was the newsworthy thing, huh? Like, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. and a non-binary person is existing being non-binary. And that's the thing that we have to say. And so... Did it feel like a qualification? Like it would have been... Would you have preferred it to just say, introduce a new powerhouse talent, Will Wilhelm? Yeah, because that that's something like about the, the performance, performance and who I am. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yep. so I feel a certain um, responsibility to be like, hello, it is me, non-binary actor Will Wilhelm, being a non-binary person, doing a non-binary thing at all times. And and it can be like, I want to take up that space. And I also, that's a part of the limitation for me. Do you know what I mean? About things only going skin deep or people not understanding that our stories are reflected in all stories because we're getting really trapped at the surface. We're getting really hung up on pronouns and not being able to progress any further, which drives me insane. <laughs> <laughs> um so it was both like really wonderful in the um in the performance of the piece itself and also the reception of the piece it was still like crazy to be like wow this is this is what people are are getting from it and i'm not like i'm not vilifying that choice i'm just noticing right. that 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 that's what people are um wanting to point out right now and it's not um it felt like an accolade for them more than for me do you know what I'm saying that's like, really well said I would make the assumption that us I mean is it fair to make the assumption that a cis person wrote that and a cis person 
edited that piece. I mean, like, that's what it says. I, yeah, I don't me. know the person. Like, um, right. but, I mean, I may, probably, maybe, like, you know, it, it just felt like, good job, theater, for including a non-binary person. And I was also like, this play has been, had production for 10 or 15 years. Like, how do you know whether or not I'm the only non-binary person to do this? I, I mean, it, who knows? But yeah, it's 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 part of that mind fuck that we all have where we're like, I want to be grateful to be visible and taking up space here. And also I want to be seen as a three-dimensional human. Um, and I think that is the path forward. Like, thank you. Like, the door is open. You are seeing me for who I am. That's really important. And I acknowledge that. And now I need to see you as, I need to see that you see me as complicated as you see yourself. Yes. Had to get a little pause there so folks could let their brain really listen to that. And like also that also, uh, I mean, I hope that the part for me about that as an arts journalist, as a theater journalist is, um, hey, art sections of papers and papers and publications in general who write about theater, um, hire more trans and non-binary writers and editors so that it's just one perspective in terms of writing about folks totally. obviously we could talk all day oh so you have you know it could other... go on and on so well thank you so much for spending this time with us i hope everyone goes to see gender player what you will let's take it out with i like to ask actors if they have any roles on their bucket list what roles have you not yet portrayed that will happen in your long and illustrious career well this is a little bit of a cheat but i'm gonna i'm gonna share some inside scoop um i just accepted a contract for my show after gender play and it's to play a character i've always really 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 wanted to play and it's so perfect because this character has been such an inspiration for the energy of gender play and i'm so excited that this summer i'm going to be playing puck for the first time you'd love to see it yeah um so that's been on the bucket list for a long time and i can't wait to do it Okay, darling, I'm going to let you go. Thank you for sharing your time and insights with us. And uh, we love you so much and wishing you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. This was truly a joy. And I appreciate every every little crumb of trans joy I can get. Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Woodzik. This episode of the podcast was edited by C.J. Higgins and distributed by American Theatre Magazine. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Tune in each month for new interviews with artists and cultural trailblazers.